Japanese, and if you ask my older daughter, who's fortunately, well, no, she should be here, but、uh, she's in Minnesota right now. She always says that, Daddy, you're not very good at preaching in English. So we'll see how that goes. <clears throat> but it's a privilege for me to be with you this morning, and we're so thankful for your partnership with us.、Um, there was a short introduction there already, but、um, I'm Ken Milhouse, and、uh, I'm a missionary kid. And so、uh, I grew up in Japan, I speak fluent Japanese. My wife will tell you I'm more Japanese than American. And some Ameri-、uh, Japanese who've been in America a long time tell me that I'm more Japanese than they are. So、um, this is a cross cultural experience sometimes for me. I understand your theme is deep and wide. And I had the、uh, opportunity to listen to Pastor Dave's sermon、uh, from last week. And so I'm thankful for that as well, too. And hopefully I can put a little twist to that or, or add a little something to that as well、uh, this morning. I want to look at a famous missions passage. And、uh, perhaps we'll have a, a new look at it as well. It's called the Great Commission. In fact, I looked in your pew Bibles, and it's one of those Bibles that has the little titles over each section, and that's the name of the, the section. The Great Commission is the name of the section. Matthew chapter 28, if you have those Bibles or your own Bibles, if you could turn to that. I'm going to focus primarily on verse 19, and I think it's a familiar passage, so I won't be reading the whole thing, but if you look at verse 19, it says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And on to verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're very familiar with this passage. Well, the classic understanding of this passage happens with that first word, right? Well, this is therefore here, but go is the word we often hear from this passage. And、uh, there's a, a strong emphasis on going that comes out of this passage. Well, it's natural to think in that way because of the translation.、Uh, but what happens when we emphasize go is something I want to think about today. And as, we, as you'll hear me talk, you'll, you'll hear the impact of some of the ministry that we're involved in. I'm hoping to encourage you to get involved in as well, too. But when we hear go, there's kind of two ways to look at this. What happens to those who don't stay? Becomes an important question. I mean, who don't go? The ones who stay. Now, I've heard two ways this passage is looked at. One is that this passage is meant for the elite Christians who actually get a call and go overseas. Now, sometimes people look at this passage, and if you look a little, few verses behind, before it, you realize that, that、uh, this is、uh, Jesus with the 11 remaining disciples. You know, these are the top tier dudes, right? These are the guys who were chosen to be the inner core. The remainder of them, Judas is gone, but it's the, the remaining 11. So this must be for those really high class Christians who get the real call to go out someplace, the top tier ones who've really been chosen to do the ministry. And that kind of then leaves everybody else who doesn't feel like they're top tier to sit on the sidelines. Yeah, maybe give a little bit, maybe pray a little bit, but well, no, that's for the really elite ones to go out on the field. It's like, you know, the NFL players, today's a big game, right? The NFL players, the ones who played in high school, they don't get to go into the NFL, but they can root on those who do go on to the big time. So this is for the big time. That's one interpretation that I sometimes will hear from this passage. Now, it's called the Great Commission. And when I hear the word great, and I don't know who put that tag on it, I kind of think it must mean for a whole lot of people. So if this is for just the elite, I don't know how great that commission is. It's a commission for the few, not for the most, and then it's not so elite. But anyway, that's one interpretation.、I'm、not sure that's the best. Maybe a more common one, 
maybe not such a nice one either, is to look at this and say it is for all Christians. All disciples should be obeying this commission of the Lord. Now that would be a great thing, right? If everybody who followed Jesus is supposed to go out and make disciples, that makes sense, that's great. But then you still have this problem of what about those who don't go, who don't get that call? What happens to them? Well, sometimes people look at those people as maybe lesser, you know, they're not obeying, they're being disobedient kinds of Christians, or those people have to justify their call to stay. I'm called to stay and pray, and I've heard that mentioned to me before. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit, um, but there's a song that I really liked in junior high, and some of you probably know it. Here, I was in Japan, and a couple of uh, mission uh, committees in the States did send me some records when I was in Japan as a junior high, and one of the records I got was Keith Green. And he had a great song called uh, uh, Jesus Commands Us to Go that was based on this passage. Some of you might remember that. I love that song as a song. Here are the lyrics. Jesus commands us to go, but we go the other way. So he carries the burden alone while his children are busy at play, feeling so called to stay. Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. It's no wonder we're moving so slow when his church, and then another verse, it's when God's children refuse to obey, feeling so called to stay. That's a pretty guilt trip song. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I love that song as a song, but as I've grown, I've realized that maybe, maybe Keith's interpretation of this passage was not quite on tap. By the way, when I was a kid in junior high, I liked the song especially because I knew my parents had obeyed, and we were on the field, and so that made me kind of feel good. But I think it's kind of unfair to those who end up staying. Jesus commands us, if you don't go, you're disobeying because you're feeling called to stay. Well, what's happening? When the emphasis is on the go in this great commission, we either have to believe that it's only for the top-tier elite people or those of us who don't go then are being disobedient. I'm not sure either is necessarily the case. And before I go into the, uh, talking about how to look at that word go, I want to emphasize that there is special calling. People are called to go. We received that calling, although it wasn't too far that we had to go, but it was definitely a calling to go, and I think that's a very important thing, and I wish that all of us would be, receive that call to actually go overseas and, and to reach out to people overseas, but not all of us can do that. And for those of us who can't do that, who don't have that call, I think this passage actually is a commission to us as well, too. One of the most uh, helpful things I learned in, at Gordon-Conwell is how to translate what's called a participle in Greek. And I don't want to get too technical, and I don't know grammar anyway, so, but this is one of the few things I do remember. My New Testament professor told me that this, a present participle, and that's what this word go here is, is a present participle. The best way to translate a present participle in English is to put an ing at the end and put the word as or while before, meaning it's present right now. If you do that with this word, it becomes, while you are going, make disciples. While you are going, make disciples. Think about that phrase a little bit. Making disciples is the actual command in this passage. Keith got it wrong. Go isn't the command. Make disciples is the command. And if we're making disciples while we are going, that's something that all of us can do. Right? 
while we are going about our daily lives, while we are living in the places God has put us, we're supposed to be making disciples to the people that God has placed around us. That makes a whole lot more sense to me. And it certainly is something that all of us who are followers of Jesus can do, isn't it? Of course, the problem is the next phrase. And I actually read one Bible scholar who justified translating the word go instead of going because of the next phrase. And what is that phrase? Make disciples of all nations. Oh, okay, well, it's nations. That means you must be going someplace instead of staying around and just living your lives. Is it? I don't know. What about the disciples, these 11? And maybe we'll add the remainder of Jesus' followers. The first time we see the disciples, the followers of Jesus, making disciples is in Acts chapter 2. And I'm not going to open that this morning, but I think you're familiar with it. You know, that's that famous passage when the Holy Spirit gave the special gift of tongues to uh, those followers of Jesus. It's the 120 followers of Jesus, not just the 11. But what happened there? There were a whole bunch of people gathered together, right? They were from all over the world. They were from the nations gathered together in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. They were there temporarily for a short period of time, from all over the known world at the time. Now, most of them were Jews, but they weren't all Jews. Some of them were non-Jew God-fearers. And if you go to that passage, there's a list of, like, places. And it's one of those passages that most of us in the pulpit butcher the pronunciation of. Right? If it wasn't Japanese, it'd be easier for me to pronounce. But, you know, you can't pronounce all those words. They were gathered from the nations, and that's the people that the disciples first reached out to and made disciples of, if you will, because of the Lord's special gifting to speak the known languages of those folks there. So the first time these disciples made other disciples, they were from the nations that God had brought to that particular place. They didn't have to go very far. They were in Jerusalem, but they were reaching out to the nations that God had gathered around them. So in a sense, they fulfilled this commission that they had received from Jesus just a few days beforehand in that first instance. Well, what about us? We're here in the United States. Did you know that the United States is the fourth largest cross-cultural missions field in the world? God's bringing the nations here. Just like he did with those folks back in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. If you come to our area in Somerville, Massachusetts... And some of you here, I remember last time I was here, a year and a half ago, I met a gentleman who knows Somerville, Massachusetts very well. Somerville is right next to Cambridge. We are a 10-minute walk from Harvard. And uh, Somerville is actually the first city in the United States that raised the American flag. Can't get any more American than that, right? And of course, like you, we're in New England. This is the, you know, the starting point of, of America, well, if any of you would come and visit us in our ministry, we have a little Japanese you know, ministry that's across the street from a market basket supermarket. But if you walk one big block from us, this is what you'll find. Brazilian, Portuguese, Indian, Greek, Haitian, Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Mexican, and Peruvian establishments. Uh, not to mention the Irish pubs and the Italian clubs that have been there a little bit longer. The nation's are in Somerville, Massachusetts. And if you walk the streets, that one big block, 
You might hear a little bit of English, but I bet you hear a lot more other languages you've never heard before, and you certainly don't understand. The nations are in Somerville, Massachusetts. God has brought them to the United States, and they're living among us, with us, right around our neighborhoods. Don't have to go very far to reach the nations when you're in Somerville, Massachusetts. And we've experienced in our ministry Japanese people who've come to the United States. Most of them temporarily, most of them for a short period of time. And we see people, because they've come to the United States, for the first time in their lives, come to church and not intending to become Christians, they just wanted to have a connection with people who understood Japanese or understood Japanese people, and then become Christians and go back to Japan as Christians. Kind of like those folks who were in uh, Jerusalem for Pentecost. I don't think they came thinking that they were going to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And yet that's what they did. And they were there temporarily. So many of them went back to their places of origin. We're doing the same kind of thing right now in Somerville, Massachusetts. And by the way, we've not only baptized Japanese people, and this is one of the things when we started ministry I had no concept of. We have baptized Americans, one who doesn't even speak a word of Japanese. We've baptized a Korean, a Taiwanese, and a Malaysian as well, too. <laughs> the nations we didn't intend to reach has been brought to our doorstep, thanks to the Lord. And we are so thankful for your partnership with us in allowing us to do that. So we have a mandate to reach those who God has brought in our area. How about you? How about Trinity Baptist Church? What about this area? Well, I did a little research. You know what? The nations are coming to this area as well, too. We'll start with international students, because that's a lot of the people we work with are students. Uh, you got the universities, Fairfield, Sacred Heart, Housatonic, University of Bridgeport. If you start looking, you'll find international students at probably all of those institutions. I did a little further research on University of Bridgeport, and I know who operates them, but anyway... University of Bridgeport is an amazing place, on paper at least, because it's the 11th most diverse college in the United States. 11th. That's compared to all the universities in the United States. It's the 11th most diverse. 80 nations are represented in their student population. You, the nations are at University of Bridgeport, folks, and you're not too far from there. And uh, the uh, Bridgeport International Academy High School has a lot of internationals as well, too. And we know a Japanese a girl who was a high school student there for one year before she came to a high school in Cambridge and uh, got to know us. There's opportunities to reach out to the nations at those schools that are right nearby, just down the road from you. And how about Bridgeport itself? Now, I know Fairfield, the numbers are a little different. But Bridgeport, huge population of, of uh, internationals. 30% of Bridgeport are Latino. There's real opportunities. God is bringing the nations right into this area as well. And when we begin to open our eyes and look around and see the kinds of people God is bringing to this area, we all can be involved in reaching the nations that God is bringing here. I think Trinity Baptist Church is located right in this area, partially, to reach out to those folks as well. I was amazed at how close some of these schools are to this campus. And if you start to think about, well, you know, we're here partially to reach out to those internationals, to the nations God is bringing to our doorstep, 
then you can make a huge impact in the lives of those folks. And many of them, because they're outside of their comfort zone, many of them, because they're in areas where they don't have friends, they're looking for people that will reach out to them and be friends. And with that, there's an opportunity then to reach out to them for Christ as well, too. Of course, crossing cultural boundaries can be a little scary, right? There's a chance for miscommunication, misunderstanding. There's a nice little story that somebody sent me from Reader Digest a while ago. A group of Japanese tourists finished their visit to a large museum in Fort Worth, Texas. As they descended the stairs, the friendly Texan, who had been their guide, said goodbye in local fashion, calling after them, Y'all come back now, you hear? With that, the entire group turned and walked back up the stairs. Those kinds of things will happen. But many of those cultural snafus and communication things can be laughed at, just like that one is. It can, it can be overcome. And if we have the Lord on our side, then we can have the strength to overcome those barriers as well, too. Now, you have this deep and wide theme. This is the wide part. This is your challenge for the wide part. Understanding that there are potential communication problems and cultural issues, we need to step beyond what we're comfortable with, beyond the boundaries, go a little bit wider. You don't have to go far in terms of distance, but you might have to go a little wider in terms of cultural boundaries to reach out to these folks. But when you do, you'll find God at work in amazing ways and that he has a part for you as well. And there's a lot of potential misunderstandings you can overcome with God's help as long as you're willing to step out of those comfort zones and go wide. So how do you make disciples of all the nations? How do you go wide in this area? There are practical things you can do. I'll just give you some suggestions. Some people think it's talking about Jesus 24-7 and quoting scripture at them. I think there's a time for that down the road. <laughs> that usually is probably not the best starting point. Eventually you can start doing that, but I think the most natural thing is to just befriend them. Build a relationship first. Have an opportunity to gain an audience so that down the road you'll be able to share with them about what Christ has done for you. These folks, many of them, are just looking for people to help them out, and you can help them out in practical ways. Just to be a friend. Just to do things for them. Feed them, perhaps. Um, when you talk, talk, start talking about international students, you can be intentional about reaching out to international students. Invite them to your homes. You can just interact with them and support them. Perhaps if they get kicked out of their dorms during vacation, some of those international students don't have places to go. Let them stay with you. Let them be experiencing an American family for a week or two. Open up your homes to them. Perhaps some of these internationals, not just the students, but some of those who are here working or others, they might need help with English. They might need help with other practical matters. I just had a gentleman ask me if I would be willing to go with him when he goes to get his driver's license just because he wants somebody that he's familiar with to be with him during that sort of scary experience because he's afraid he might not understand what the driving instructor or the, the tester guy wants him to do. Those kinds of simple things can lead to opportunities down the road for you to then share uh, not only your lives but also what is meaningful in your life with them because then they'll want to start to know when they realize that you're spending the time to love them, to be with them, to share your presence with them, then they'll say, why are you doing that? And then you have an opportunity to then share what Christ has done for you. Now, 
There are other ways you can do this, too, with the international students. Um, perhaps you might want to you know, open your house long-term for homestays. Uh, we've noticed over the years that there's a lot of students, especially high school students and college students, who are living in homestay situations, and there's kind of an industry of, of people doing homestays for monetary gain. Well, the folks that are doing it for monetary gain aren't there because they like internationals. They're there to get money from them, and they don't treat them very nice. And we've had to, actually had to rescue several Japanese students from these really bad homestays. Can you imagine what it would be like if these people came, students, high school students came to live with a Christian family who wanted that international student to live with them not because they want to get money from them, but just to share their love of Christ with them. Big difference. You could have an opportunity to share your love with them as well. So, there's lots of things that you could do when you start opening your eyes and looking at them. There'll be amazing things that you'll see. And that's one of the final things you get of this. I'm going to twist this thing. We started out with deep and wide, and I mentioned the wide first. Going wide. When you start going wide and you're willing to step out of the boundaries, and you're following God's call to make disciples of all the nations while you're going, the ones you actually meet are in this area, then you'll start to see God do some amazing things. And when you see God do amazing things in the lives of the people that you're reaching out to, that's going to change you and your relationship with the Lord. And you will go deeper in your relationship with God because you've experienced the amazing things God can do through us when we're just living our lives and reaching out to the people God has placed around us. I'm going to close with a story, which is something that happened in our ministry a number of years ago, which totally <laughs> increased my trust in the Lord and deepened my relationship with God. And this is, started out real simple. Uh, this is uh, 2000. So I was in Japan for two weeks, and uh, the day before I was to return, I got food poisoning. Now, the worst possible thing to do out, you know, for outreach is if you don't feel good. You don't want to do it, right? Well, all I could think about after that food poisoning was, am I going to make it through this 15-hour flight? <laughs> I got into my seat, and I said, thank you, Lord. Okay, just get me through this flight, Lord. And then I heard it, the seat behind me. It was a Japanese young man talking to the Japanese-speaking flight attendant. And I understand Japanese, so I heard the whole conversation. Well, this young man was going to be flying to Boston, transferring in Detroit, he said, I don't speak a word of Japanese, for a word of English. How do I get through the, the customs in Detroit? And then what happens in Boston? I'm supposed to take a taxi, but where do I find a taxi? He was asking the flight attendant. And the Holy Spirit said, okay, Ken, talk to the guy. And I said, what, Lord? Food poisoning, okay? Give me a break today. Let me just, you know. Well, that was my first excuse, and I, the Holy Spirit said no. Well, my other excuse, and this is one thing, People, because I speak fluent Japanese, people think that I go up to any Japanese and just start speaking Japanese with them. I don't. I have to look for an opportunity, an, an in, if you will. Because if you go up to a Japanese person without a connection, just start speaking fluid Japanese. And believe me, when I speak Japanese, it sounds just like a Japanese person speaking, and then, then the audio and visual don't match, and it really shocks their system. Um, and when you shock a Japanese person unexpectedly they back off. They withdraw. And so I purposely don't do that. I find opportunities or I make opportunities. Sometimes I like take a Japanese book at an airport 
And I purposely read the Japanese book so that somebody, do you, read, do you speak, read Japanese? Then I have an opportunity to start talking with them. But anyway, so my second excuse was this, okay, well, Lord, I don't feel good, okay, but, but I, if I just start talking to the guy, he's going to, you know, withdraw. And said, oh, no, can't talk to him. Okay, so I did talk to him. Well, this gentleman was a, a guy who was doing research at an observatory in Nagano Prefecture. Remember the Olympics a few years ago, Nagano in the mountains? Well, he was up at an observatory down in their planetary and looking at the stars. And he was sent to Harvard to use their facilities to do some research of the stars. Great. Never been out of Japan in his life. Doesn't speak a word of English, but they send him to Harvard. So I, I talked to him, and I said, listen, I'm, I pastor a Japanese church, and as you can tell, I speak Japanese, and I live in Boston. Uh, it looks like we're on the same plane, uh, you know, from Detroit to Boston as well, too. So I said, listen, I'll help you go through the, the customs. I can't go with you because I'm an American citizen, but I'll be waiting for you on the other side. I'll hang out with you at the Detroit airport, and then we'll ride the same plane to Boston. What are you going to do in Boston? I'm supposed to take a taxi. Oh, well, okay, okay, Harvard. Well, we're very close to Harvard. And I said, my wife is going to pick us up. Why don't we take you? And so that's what we did. Debbie picked me up at the airport, and I explained, you know, I just met this gentleman. He needs to go to Harvard, and so we were going to take him. But we conveniently, it wasn't really much out of our way, but we drove right by the church and just stopped. And, oh, this is where we are. And I dashed in, got a church flyer and a calendar for that month, brought it in, and then we went over to Harvard. And I said, here, this is the phone number. Call us if you need anything. If you have time, you know, these are the meetings we have for the week, and you can show up if you want, no pressure, whatever. Uh, well, he was there for 10 days, and he came to every single meeting on that sheet except the prayer meeting. I think the word prayer scared him. He even came to Debbie's English conversation class that's made for Japanese housewives. <laughs> came to two Sundays. And one of the Sundays, we had our college and career group really active at the time, so he hung out with them all afternoon as well, too. So it wasn't just me. He interacted with young Japanese Christians as well, too. Well, he was there for the 10 days. That was November. He said, I'm coming back in April because I didn't finish my research. He did come in April. He only came to worship. I think he figured out that English class. And then he said at the end of that time in April, uh, my research is done. I don't need to come back anymore, but thank you so much for all the help you've been. And uh, he went back to Japan. Well, I, I said, you know what? I, I looked in, the, in the, uh, a list of churches in Japan, and I found a little church about 45 minutes away from where he is in Nagano Prefecture. It looked like it started out as a Christian camp, and they started a church on the facilities as well, too. I said, I don't know anything about this church. It looks pretty small. It's a country church, but it's the closest one. Why don't you come and, and visit that church if you ever have any time? And uh, he said, thank you very much. That was in April. In June, I got the Dear John letter. And with Japanese people, they're very polite, but when, uh, they're, in their politeness, they will give you signals that means the relationship is over, and that's the letter I got. Basically, it said, I thank you so much for all the help you've given me. I'm actually a devout Buddhist, thinking even about becoming a Buddhist priest. Found out later it was actually a Buddhist cult, but anyway. And, uh, but I uh, had my first experience of what Christianity is like, and I learned a lot. Thank you very much. So long, goodbye. That was it, I thought. So I said... You know, I sent a polite email back to him, and then all I could do was pray for him. That was in June, in December. Uh, the Sunday before Christmas, which already was a high for us because that year we had two people baptized in our ministry, and we also knew about two of our alumni, people who had returned back to Japan, who were being baptized that Sunday. Great day already for us. The next morning, Monday morning, I opened my email, and there's an email from him. I hadn't heard from him in months. 
And the first line in that email was, praise the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to report to you that I was baptized at that church you introduced me to near my home. Thank you so much for talking to me and helping me on that airplane. Because if you hadn't, I wouldn't know Jesus today. I didn't do anything really, folks. I just helped a guy who needed some help. And God did the rest. And uh, you just see how God works amazingly when we're willing to go wide. That then brings us deeper in our relationship with God. And he allows us to be part of making disciples of all the nations that God is bringing in our area. So I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters of Trinity Baptist Church, to recognize that God has placed you for a purpose of reaching the nations he's brought into this local area. And when you are willing to go wide and step out of your comfort zone and reach out to those folks, you will experience God do amazing things, and then you will grow deeper in your relationship with God.